There's antimony, arsenic, aluminum, selenium, and hydrogen, and oxygen, and nitrogen, and rhenium, and nickel, neodymium, neptunium, germanium, and iron, americium, ruthenium, uranium, europium, zirconium, lutetium, vanadium, and lanthanum, and osmium, and astatine, and radium, and gold, protactinium, and indium, and gallium, and iodine, and thorium, and thulium, and thallium. Jules Verne was uh, one of my favorite writers, and that prompts the question that I'm going to tickle you with. What does the title 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea mean? If you know the answer to that, you give us a call at 514-790-0800. You can also text me at 514-800. And our second question, what is the connection between Archimedes and California? Again, 514-790-0800 or text at 514-800. I'm Joe Schwartz. I direct McGill's Office for Science and Society. And my background is chemistry. And as I like to tell you, I believe that chemistry is the central science that ties all the other sciences together. Doesn't mean that it is superior to the other sciences. Of course, it is just the language that is used by all the sciences because everything works on the basis of molecules and knowing their interactions is what is critical to understanding uh, what life is all about. Today, uh, after the uh, 3.30 news, uh, we have a very special guest. We want to talk about uh, a new device, uh, really quite amazing, a robot that can do hair transplants. So any of you who are interested in hair growth and who isn't uh, will, I think, be fascinated by uh, our discussion of this uh, uh, rather novel technology. Uh, I like movies, and uh, I think most people do. Great source of entertainment. And if you can learn something from them, even better. So uh, obviously I do like movies that have some kind of a scientific uh, theme, and uh, uh, especially if they are well portrayed. There are a number of movies out there, of course, that are, are scientifically based or pseudo-scientifically based. I mean, obviously, I like the ones that have real science in there. And uh, 1944 is the great moment. And 1940s uh, Dr. Ehrlich's Magic Bullet are, are two great movies. And, and uh, I'm going to urge you to, to watch these. Now, they are old. And uh, these days, you know, we uh, always look for the new, the new and improved, etc., but there are some great old classic movies that stand the test of time because they were well done. And while the cinematography and uh, the, the, the sets and, you know, may not be quite uh, what we expect today with all of the modern technology, uh, the stories are, are great. And uh, so these are two movies that I, I, I think would be well worth watching. 1944 is a great moment and 1940s Dr. Ehrlich's magic bullet. Well, the great moment tells the story of dentist William Morton's discovery of ether as an anesthetic. And the, the story is told, interestingly, in the form of flashbacks, as Eben Frost, who supposedly was the first patient from whom Morton extracted a tooth using ether, Reminisces with Morton's widow. As the story evolves, we learn that Morton, as a dentist, was very interested in relieving pain, was captivated by colleague Horace Wells's use of nitrous oxide with some success. That's laughing gas. 
But when Wells attempted to demonstrate nitrous oxide to physicians at Massachusetts General in Boston, the attempt failed because he did not allow enough time for the gas to be properly absorbed by the patient from whom he was going to, to extract the tooth. Anyway, Morton was intrigued by all of this, and he wondered if there could be some substance that was more dependable than, uh, than uh, uh, nitrous oxide. And he had heard of a substance, ether, that was sometimes used, actually, I, I, we should say abused, as a euphoria-inducing substance at ether parties. For more information, he sought advice about the use of ether from Harvard chemistry professor Charles Jackson. Well, it seems that Jackson believed it could work as an anesthetic, and Morton gave it a try with Eben Frost. The tooth extraction was painless, and this prompted Morton to approach uh, surgeon John Collins Warren, again at Massachusetts General, and he proposed a potential experiment. Now, Warren, remembering the Wells fiasco, uh, was understandably skeptical, but since they had nothing else to offer, uh, he agreed to a demonstration. And on October 16, 1846, Warren successfully removed the tumor from the neck of Gilbert Abbott under ether anesthesia, and this unfurled a new era in medicine. With large profits from patents about the use of ether as an anesthetic, as well as uh, credit for its discovery at stake, a furious legal battle ensued between Jackson, Wells, and Morton. Morton had filed a patent for an anesthetic as Lethion without declaring what it actually was. The local medical society found this unacceptable and did not allow its use. When Morton finds out that Warren will then have to proceed with the amputation of young girl's leg without any anesthesia in the movie, he relents and reveals that lithium is ether. And that leads to a happy, albeit somewhat fictional, ending to the movie, but the rest of the film is essentially factual. And it, it does uh, tell the whole story of the discovery of uh, really the first widely used anesthetic, which was ether, and what you know, I really like about this movie and uh, also Dr. Ehrlich's Magic Bullet is that it portrays uh, scientists as having real lives outside of the laboratory or outside of the, the operating uh, room. And it also um, describes how discoveries don't come about in, in eureka moments. They come about you know, from a lot of trial and error, and some fortuitous uh, circumstances, collaboration with others. And so uh, if you are interested in the history of anesthesia, which is absolutely fascinating, I would recommend that you watch that movie. Now, Dr. Ehrlich's Magic Bullet, uh, which also uh, is an old movie, 1940, and it stars uh, Edward G. Robinson in, in a, a role that is quite different from the other roles that you know, uh, people are gangsters usually. Anyway, they, this movie recounts the events leading up to the introduction of Salversan, originally called 606. And that was the first truly effective drug against syphilis, introduced in 1909. Ehrlich's discovery was stimulated by the observation that some synthetic dyes 
were preferentially absorbed by bacteria, making them more visible under the microscope. If some sort of toxin such as arsenic could be incorporated into the dye, so thought Ehrlich, the result could be killing the bacteria without harming other tissues. This was his magic bullet theory, that a drug could target a specific microbe and destroy it without touching anything else. Total novel idea at the time. A number of dye molecules incorporating arsenic were synthesized and tried on mice that had been infected with the bacterium that caused syphilis. That was a widespread disease at the time. And each of these drugs was coded with a number. And the one labeled 606 was found to work particularly well. It is often mistakenly reported, and the film makes this error as well, that 605 experiments were carried out before one was found to be successful. No, that's not the way it went down. Testing drugs on mice is a very laborious, difficult process. It would be impossible to do extensive testing of 605 compounds on, on, uh, on mice. So it is true that a number of compounds were tried, and one was found to work, and the one that was found to work had been numbered 606, uh, probably, uh, according to some accounts, because there were six series of experiments that were, were tried, and this was the sixth in the six series. Anyway, there were no 605 tests carried out until a successful drug was found, but the successful one was Salversan, the name being coined from safe arsenic, and it was essentially at that time a wonder drug, a magic bullet against syphilis. Okay, I think Jeff may have an answer to one of my questions. Jeff? Yes, hi, Dr. Joe. I'm a big fan of the show. Um, Thank uh, you. A nautical league is uh, 18,228 feet and uh, four inches or so. Okay. So, so and why, is, uh, why was that the title of the uh, Jules Verne's book? Well, it had to do with the uh, the monster uh, or uh, a creature that lived at those depths of the sea. No, nope. You you've stumbled onto something almost in the right direction, but no, there's nothing to do with the monster. All right. Uh, so uh, twenty thousand leagues under sea. What does it mean? I actually do have a text uh, answer that is is correct. It is a measure of, of distance. And uh, a, a league is an old-fashioned measure, roughly about three miles. So the 20,000 leagues is about 60,000 miles. And that is the distance that the submarine, the Nautilus, under the command of Captain Nemo, traveled underneath the, the sea. The reason I ask this question is because a lot of uh, people think that the 20,000 leagues has something to do with depth. It has nothing to do with depth. This was the lateral distance that they traveled around the world underneath the uh, the ocean. 
it's a great book. If you've not read uh, Jules Verne, uh, it's time to pick one up, whether it's 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea or Journey from the Earth to the Moon or my favorite, The Mysterious Island. Uh, you'll see that uh, he was really a remarkable uh, writer. Uh, the details uh, of, um, you know, the submarine or, or uh, the, the journey to the moon, the scientific details are, are uh, excellent. And he got most of it right. So it's really worth uh, reading uh, those books. All right. Uh, I also had a correct answer, more or less, to my question about uh, Archimedes and the connection to California. And yes, it does have to do with, with gold. It's a bit more involved, though. The state motto of California is Eureka. And uh, that refers uh, either to finding gold or the creation of the state. Uh, the Seal of California also features the Roman goddess Minerva, that's Athena in Greek mythology, who was born as an adult, suggesting that California became a state without ever having been a territory. But if you look at the Great Seal uh, of, of California, you will see some gold miners. And uh, that, of course, does connect to Eureka, uh, which is the word that Archimedes is said to have uttered when he got into the bathtub and discovered that some of the water then overflowed, and he concluded that the uh, uh, volume of the water that overflowed was the same as the body that had displaced it. And uh, he called out Eureka because then he got the idea of how to solve the problem of the crown that had been posed to him when King Hero believed that uh, the crown had been adulterated uh, with uh, silver and he wanted to know if the goldsmith had uh, carried out some monkey business and he wanted to know how you figure out if, if the crown was pure gold. And Ar Archimedes was puzzled about this until he got into the bathtub and then he figured that you could determine the volume of the crown by immersing it in water and then you could weigh the crown and determine its density. And you could do the same with a piece of gold, put it in water, find out the volume it displaced, and weigh it, determine its density. And if the two densities were the same, then, of course, you could conclude that uh, you were looking at pure gold. So now you know the relationship between Archimedes and uh, California. And you can look up the Great Seal of California, and you'll see the uh, depiction of the gold miners on it. You'll see the goddess Minerva, and you will see emblazoned at the top the word Eureka. And uh, interesting, right? Because you would not uh, expect to see the Greek word Eureka on the seal of the state of California. Uh, life is mysterious, isn't it? <clears throat> You know, I often uh, uh, take to debunking nonsense, and uh, it sometimes gets to be too tiresome because there's just so much debunking that you can do. The world is so filled with foolishness. But here's one that, you know, I just have to comment on. Height-growth patches. Yes, you heard right. Height-growth patches. What do they do? Well make you grow taller. How? By putting this patch on the sole of your foot while you're asleep. 
And this is claimed to simultaneously stimulate 60 acupuncture points that in turn trigger the secretion of growth hormone. Now, growth hormone, of course, is a real entity. It is a protein that's secreted by the pituitary gland in the brain. But there's no connection between the pituitary gland and the sole of the foot. You can dance on a bed of nails, tickle your soles with a feather, and your pituitary will be oblivious. You may not be, but your pituitary will be. Now, to pile nonsense on nonsense, these patches contain hemp oil, ginseng, and angelica root extract. None of these have anything to do with growth. Even if they did, applying them to the bottom of the foot would not be the way to go. Now, cleverly, the instructions state that the younger you are, the better the patches work. Yes, the younger you are, the more likely you are to grow. Indeed, they tell you that you will see results in three months. Yes, children will grow in three months, patch or no patch. But the only way these patches can increase your height is if you put a bunch of them inside your shoe. This particular version of snake oil, it's available, believe it or not, on Amazon or Walmart. I'd say shame on them. I can think of another use for these patches, put them on the mouths of people who promote them. So this is just, you know, absolute nonsense. But this is not the only nonsensical uh, foot patch that exists. <clears throat> there, there are a couple of others which don't claim to make you grow, but they claim to detoxify you. And you put them on the bottom of your foot, again, overnight, and in the morning, you take them off and you look at them and you'll see that they are somewhat discolored. And the uh, message there is that uh, the toxins have been pulled out of your body. Absolute nonsense. You cannot pull toxins out of your body by putting patches on the bottom of your, of your foot. <laughs> this whole idea of detoxing, of course, is, is uh, a nonsensical idea. Uh, detoxification can have a, a potential medical ap application. I mean, if, if, if someone swallows some, some sort of poison and, and you treat them with charcoal to absorb the poison, well, yes, then you have done some sort of detoxification. But the idea that our, our body is full of, of, of toxins, which can be removed by these magical methods, is, is, uh, is just scientifically unsubstantiated. <laughs> I mean, that's to put, in, put it politely. Uh, for example, you have those foot baths where uh, for six or $700 is what they cost. You put your foot in it and you plug, uh, there's a plug, you plug it into electrical outlet and you wait and the water becomes colored. And the message is that you're sucking the toxins out of your body. That's responsible for the color. Nothing like that is happening. What is happening is an experiment in electrolysis. The, uh, this device has um, two metal electrodes in it, and one of them is an iron electrode. And when a current passes between the iron electrode and the other electrode, uh, the iron goes into solution as iron hydroxide, which is basically rust. That's the color that you are seeing. And the uh, more sweat you have on your foot, 
the more color uh, will form because sweat, of course, contains salt, and salt is a very effective electrolyte, and therefore there will be better conduction across the, uh, the water. And uh, so this is just a, a silly gimmick. But of course, people will tell you that they feel better after having undergone this, this treatment. But what we're experiencing there is the placebo effect. If someone thinks that uh, good is being done to them, a significant percentage of the time, uh, that may happen. It doesn't cure any underlying condition, but it may change your perception of the condition. Do you look upon the universe with wonder in your eyes? Do you tingle with attention when you're taken by surprise? If a problem should perplex you, does it put your brain in gear? Then you're ready for adventure on the science frontier. Robots, they build our cars. They fill jars with food. They do innumerable tasks. But can they put hair on your head? What well, we're going to find out. My guest is Derek Kastner, and he works for Venus Concept, which is uh, a company that deals with robots that indeed can transplant follicles. Derek, well, welcome to the show. Hi, Dr. Joe. Thank you very much for having me. Well, we're dealing, of course, with a fascinating topic here because, uh, let's face it, uh, hair growth is a big industry. Uh, there's a lot of nonsense uh, in, in the business, all kinds of quack products that claim to, to grow hair. But then there is science. There is reality. And transplant surgeons can do amazing jobs these days. But as you're going to tell us, robots can play a very interesting role as well. So perhaps we start out by uh, talking a little bit about uh, what hair transplantation is all about and the different methodologies that are available, and then you can tell us about the robots. Absolutely. So as you mentioned, I work with a company called Venus Concepts that is the sole provider of the Artist IX Artificially Intelligent Hair Restoration Robot. So to understand the benefits of the Artist Robot, one first has to understand some key concepts behind hair restoration procedures. So there are two main types of hair transplantation. There is FUT, which is follicular unit transection, and FUE, which is follicular unit extraction. So in FUT surgery, a surgeon cuts a strip of skin from the back of the patient's head and extracts individual hair follicles. These follicles are then inserted into the balding parts of the patient's scalp. So this procedure yields excellent results but does require a slightly more extended recovery time, and it will leave a large visible scar, a linear scar in the back of the patient's head from the transection. In contrast to FUT, there is another procedure called FUE, which is follicular unit extraction. And in this surgery, individual follicular units are harvested from the back of the head and reimplanted in the balding parts of the scalp to recreate the hairline and fill in the hair density on the top of the scalp in the thinning areas. So FUE is far less invasive than FUT, leading to a quicker recovery time, and it does not leave that large visible linear scar in the back of the head. So FUE is often the preferred method of hair transplantation. 
how many follicles can be transplanted uh, in this fashion? So an hmm. average surgery is around 2,000 follicles. But again, it varies from different patients, right? So I would say on average, 2,000 is, uh, is pretty standard. But, how long um, would that take? So that could take around uh, six hours. It's if you don't stay over for the procedure, it's one day in and out. FUT and FUE surgeries um, are, are pretty quick and pretty easy, but they can always be easier. So with FUE and FUT, as I mentioned, it is kind of labor intensive for the doctor. Human fatigue, human error can definitely play a role in suboptimal outcomes. So how can the surgeons address this issue? Well, they can utilize the Artist IX robot to help them perform their surgeries a little bit better. So the Artist robot is a binocular, so it has two cameras, stereoscopic image-guided robot that helps detect the best hair follicles to extract during harvesting, and then it helps the doctors reimplant them in the front and top of the scalp. So the artist robot actually analyzes the exit angle of every single hair coming out of the scalp, the elevation angle off of the scalp, and the diameter of each hair, and selects the best and healthiest hair follicles to transplant. So the key here is that the robot is so precise that it does not damage any neighboring hair follicles, ensuring that the harvested area maintains its integrity and natural look. Now, you know, when, when we use the word robot, I mean, most people will conjure up an image of, you know, something like we saw in Lost in Space, which is this, you know, or, or in Star Wars. Uh, so what, what does this robot actually look like? So it is actually one large articulating arm, and it has all of the camera technology built into the head where the needles are. And it's not as big as you would think. It fits in any regular size clinic. And uh, it, it's, it's actually quite a beautiful piece of technology. So it, it kind of like starts by hovering over the patient's head? Precisely. So the patient will spend the morning part of the procedure face down during the harvesting part of the procedure. And then they will lie on their back when the artist robot is re-implanting the follicles at the front of the, of the scalp. So what I love most about the artist robot is that it is not a human. So it can repeatedly maintain its precision, even if extracting, as we discussed earlier, two, three, or 4,000 follicles. So I'll give you an example. Imagine the best base, baseball pitchers to ever live. Uh, I don't know who you like. I, I like Pedro Martinez, played for the Expos. So you gotta like a, a hometown hero. So could Pedro Martinez throw a strike? Mm. Absolutely. Two strikes in a row, you bet. Even three, I've seen him do it. But ask him to throw 2,000 consecutive strikes. I don't care if you're the best baseball player in the world, it is impossible. That same concept can be applied to hair transplantation. Can the best surgeon extract a hair follicle without damaging it or any neighboring follicles? Sure. Two in a row? Why not? 2,000 in a row? Unlikely. So that's the real benefit of the artist right there. So what does the surgeon do as this is happening? So the surgeon will, first of all, design the hairline that the patient will receive. It's really important that we maintain a natural look. So you cannot give someone in their 60s the hairline of a 12-year-old. That would not look natural. The surgeon also is responsible for administering the anesthesia, the anesthetic, the local anesthetic. So it is a pain-free procedure. And also there are certain areas where the surgeon will actually prefer to fill in 
certain areas by, uh, by hand. So they work in conjunction with the robot to ensure optimal results. And uh, so once, once uh, the follicle has been implanted, what is the, the success rate, let's say for an individual follicle, what is, you know, what, how likely is it to, to take Survive? root and become active? Yeah, so that, that's a phenomenal question. So the general statistics from manual FUE is that around 25% of the implanted follicles will not survive. And that's not even taking into account the potential damage that you could have caused to neighboring follicles during harvesting or implantation. However, with the artist robot, over 95% of implanted follicles survive. So this yields greater results for the patient and a fuller head of hair. So that's really what we're after is the results. So the patient is happier and the surgeon is happier and the patient also is often paying per follicle. So if you are not getting 100% of the yield, it's money in the garbage. So we wanna make sure that we are getting the absolute optimal results and that is where the artist comes into play. The uh, machine costs roughly what? What, what the robot is around for? a half a million dollars. And the procedure with the artist, any FUE in, in the city of Montreal will run you from around ten to $15,000 per procedure. But that is standard whether they're using the robot or not. So I encourage anybody who's looking to do a hair transplantation procedure to look into doing it with the artist robot. The cost is the same, but it'll be less invasive. It'll be more precise and give you a better result. And this robot is right here in downtown Montreal. There is okay, Derek, a hang, on, hang on a minute. We're going to take a, a break. We'll be back because I have a couple of other questions. Chatting with uh, Derek Kastner, who works for Venus Concept, a company that produces a robot that, uh, believe it or not, transplants hair. So, Derek, I have a couple of questions. When um, you pluck a follicle out from the back of, of the neck, how, how do you actually do that? I mean, uh, so the robot how, how... will actually harvest the entire hair follicle, so not just the hair itself, but the entire follicle that can contain up to four hairs sometimes. So it'll loosen the, the tissue around it so that the technician and the doctor can safely remove the hair follicle without damaging it. And then you can re-implant it with the robot itself uh, in the other part of the scalp, in the front of the scalp. Now, when, when you re-implant, I mean, you have to make some sort of an incision, right? Well, there's actually needles that the robot utilizes on the head of the robot, and using its image-guided camera system, it can re-implant them based on the doctor's design using 3D technology uh, to restore the hairline as per the patient's needs. So it's very specific to each patient. The computer system is all included in the robot. It's a super advanced piece of technology. It's pretty amazing to watch. Yeah, uh, but I mean, there a hole has to be made, right? So that's made with like a pin. It's made with a, a needle that that punches. So there's a punch, and then it reimplants. Right, and it's the same arm that does both. Correct. So the patient is actually face down, 
for the harvesting portion of the procedure, and then the patient is flipped over for the implantation side, so the robot is in the same position. It's the patient that actually flips 180 degrees, and it's the same mm -hmm. arm that is doing both the harvesting and the implantation. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you were saying that this, this is about half a million dollars. For the robot itself, how, how, yeah. And this is yeah. the best technology in the world. So the artist robot is the only one that can do this type of procedure. And if you go anywhere in the world, in Japan, in Germany, Brazil, Canada, it is the number one technology. Actually, the, the doctor that utilizes it the most in the world is a doctor uh, in Japan. So it's popular in Asia. It's popular. And it's even available here in Montreal. There is a clinic called Follicle MD in downtown Montreal in the beautiful Victoria Park Medi Spa. And they have two amazing doctors operating it. Dr. Hani Sino, who's a world-renowned plastic surgeon, studied at McGill and at Harvard. And Dr. Noemi Vizina, a young, brilliant doctor who's done a multitude of these procedures. She really is a hair expert. So they are using this technology what is, what is right roughly here in the, Montreal. What is the cost of such a procedure? So a procedure will run you between ten and $15,000 based on the extent of the surgery you need. And that is standard across the country, whether the doctors are utilizing the robot or not. So I encourage all patients looking to get a hair transplant to really find a clinic that offers these procedures with the artist robot so they get the best possible results. But it takes a long time for a doctor then to recoup a half a million dollars. Uh, you'd be surprised that in just one year, a doctor can actually turn a huge profit and pay off the device in, in less than 12 months, not even going crazy, just with one procedure a week. So the, the numbers make sense. It, it makes business sense for the doctor to recoup their investment. And that's really what they're doing. It's not a cost. It's an investment in their clinic and it's an investment in their patient's results. So it's, uh, it's really a win-win situation for everyone. So let's say if, if someone has uh, the, the classic bald spot on top of the head, it can be completely filled in? The crown area of the head is a little bit more challenging, um, but that's true of any FUE procedure. But uh, really what the artist robot focuses on is the hairline. And if you think about it, during the pandemic, when we all went to Zoom, you're not seeing the top of the head. You are seeing the hairline that frames the face. It's the first thing you notice when you look at someone in the eyes is their hairline. In photographs, on social media, Instagram, even having a face-to-face -face conversation, it is really the front of the hair that is the most prominent and the most important. So that's really where the doctor and the artist will focus their hair follicles when reimplanting. Okay, very, very, very interesting. And uh, I mean, it's interesting medically, and of course, the technology here is is fascinating. That that the uh, the robot can be guided to do such sophisticated maneuvers. It's pretty incredible. And Dr. Joe, you have a nice head of hair, so I don't think you need it just yet. But if you ever want one, you can always give me a call. I can tell you where to go for an artist treatment. Well, maybe you should, you should approach Brendan Gallagher because I saw yesterday <laughs> I when, he lost, when he lost his helmet, <laughs> it did reveal something. <laughs> Brendan, if you're listening, okay. there's a procedure, the procedure on, uh, on Venus Concepts if you want to uh, test out the artist and his prowess. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks very much, Derek, for uh, filling you, us Joe. in on, on this. Okay, thank you very bye. much. Take care. All right, I, I think we have uh, uh, someone on the line with with a question, William. I think. 
William? Good afternoon, doctor. Yes, sir. Yeah, I have a question about the COVID. What happens when you destroy the the protein uh, protein uh, uh, extensions? Well, the the what do you mean? What happens? I mean, to to what? I, what happens to what? Uh, what happens to the to the virus? I I know that it will not reproduce, but what else does happen to it? What well, I mean, the 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 virus doesn't exist by by itself. I mean, what we are concerned about is the virus entering a cell. So if yeah, you destroy these, the protein, yes. Protein, so uh, if you destroy if you destroy the spike protein, it can't enter the cell. Period. I mean, so, so I, I don't quite. Well, that would be the solution if that could be done. Yes. So we do the next best thing. We train the immune system to recognize the spike protein. All right, let me go to Angelo. Angelo. Yes, hi. I know uh, hi. what would happen if a nuclear reaction explodes, but what does it actually mean, a button on the nuclear thing, the, with a missile or something? Exactly what would happen? It would create a tremendous amount of heat, which would cause the air around it to expand. And it is the rapidly moving air that creates a shock wave, and that shock wave is what we call an explosion. So a very simple definition of explosion is a sudden going away of things from the place where they have been. And that is because of the very rapid movement of, of air. But that's, that happens in any explosion. It's just that the nu nuclear explosion produces a tremendous amount of heat. So it's far further reaching. On top of it, you have the problem that in a nuclear reaction, you also create radioactive isotopes, and those can cause radiation sickness. So it's a double whammy. Uh, obviously, a nuclear war is something that we absolutely want to stay away from because this is not survivable, and uh, the world would just go to smithereens if we have a full nuclear engagement between uh, Russia and the United States. So that is just not a, a military uh, option. All right. So uh, we've covered a lot of ground here today. I told you a little bit about uh, a couple of movies uh, to watch, and those are uh, old movies. If you want to watch something that is uh, new and still has a lot of science in it, uh, I would suggest uh, Traces. And that's on BritBox. It has uh, some very, very good science and, again, properly portrayed. Uh, and uh, much of it takes place in a chemistry lab where they use gas chromatographs and paper chromatography, and it is all very well depicted. And, of course, it all goes towards solving uh, a, a crime. Very, very interesting. And, uh, of course, today you also learned something about what robots can do, that uh, one particular one can actually be trained to transplant hair follicles. So we have uh, once again run out of time, but uh, rest assured, we'll be back with you same time, same station next week. Until then, I'm Joe Schwartz, hoping all the chemistry in your life comes out just right. <laughs>